0: Hello, welcome to the Lewisburg United Methodist Church podcast. Thanks for joining us today. For sermon notes and videos related to this message, please visit lwbumc.com. From Matthew 20, verses
1: 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. beginning with the last, and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last, the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of God for the people of God.
0: Would would like to start off if possible with something kind of a little lighter hearted says a middle-aged woman had a heart attack and was taken to the hospital and while she was on the operating table she had a near-death experience she sees God and she says God is this it am I dying God reassures her that she's not dying that she's actually going to live 30 more years upon her recovery she decides to stay in the hospital and have a facelift liposuction (laughs) and breast augmentation everything she'd always wanted She even has someone come in and cut and color her hair. She figures if she's going to live another 30 years, she might as well make the most of it. So the day the doctors release her, she walks out of the hospital only to be hit by a speeding ambulance. She arrives at the pearly gates in front of God complaining, I thought you said I had another 30 years. She said, God says, I'm sorry, I didn't recognize you. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together in this place be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. Amen. What does God think of you? What does God think of me? I remember uh, many years ago a lady in my church told me that she was not sure how much God thought of her. We were one day having a discussion about burial uh, procedures and she says now i know that there's not a thing wrong with uh, being cremated and i i i know that's right for some people she said but it's not right for me and i said well why is that she says well you know when you're cremated you're just a little bit of ash she says i want to hold together the best i can of me for as long as possible after i die because i don't know if god thinks enough of me to gather up my dust and i thought (laughs) that's strange (laughs) But then I can tell you of lots of people that I've talked with over the years who will tell me that they feel like their life has been uh, guided by what other people thought of them and intrinsically connected to what God thought of them. This parable is one of my favorite parables in all of the New Testament they say that it might be a response to Peter's question where he says, uh, Jesus, we've left everything. We've given up everything to follow you and be a disciple. What reward will we have? Jesus is always seeking to level the playing field. In the Christian faith, we must never look upon one person as being somehow a little better or a little more advanced advantaged than the other you have to forgive me because I know that I have things I do sometimes at this stage in my life that I shouldn't like I'll make a reference to the fact that I've been in ministry 39 starting 40 years I've uh, had the blessing of being able to attend some wonderful schools and learn a lot and somehow get the idea that because I've been in ministry that many years and because I've had wonderful teachers and so forth, that somehow that's an advantage. No, my friends. Nothing makes one person more significant than another. When God looks down upon us, God sees us as we are and doesn't see us... Let Let me read you what Eugene Peterson, who is the author of the message, said in this passage. He said, One of the dehumanizing features of our society is that there is a price put on nearly everybody. We determine the value of others by their salary. We even base our own self-image sometimes on how much we earn. Jesus' story proclaims a good news of a different way of determining our value, not by how much we earn or how long we work, not by productivity or seniority, not by maleness or femaleness, but simply because we are. We all get treated generously by God. This striking phrase in this parable, can I not do what I want with my own money? Can't I give as I see fit? Not reward, but give. Not evaluate, but give. Not punish, but give. Not lecture, but give. Not sort out and assign places, but simply give. The parable creates a community of understanding where each person gets valued the way God values us. We set aside what our parents think about us, what our colleagues think about us, what our friends or acquaintance or strangers think about us. Even our enemies, we set that aside and we say, but what does God think of me? But all these other opinions come crashing in and keep us from realizing that God believes that we are very special, regardless of whether we worked all day long or just an hour. I can really relate to this passage of Scripture in a couple of ways. First of all, uh, when Reeve and I moved to Huntington, uh, there was another pastor who moved to Huntington at the same time. And, believe it or not, we both stayed at our prospective churches for 16 years. But all during that time, the church that I served out in the outlying neighborhood grew and the church he served over on south side behind the uh, Cabell-Huntington Hospital declined. All during that time, Pastor Mike and I would work side by side on projects at Asbury Woods and other places. And all along that time, the church grew for my side, my salary grew. And all that time, the church declined for Pastor Mike, and his salary never saw an increase. In 16 years, he never saw an increase in his salary. Now, if I was going to value Pastor Mike based upon the outward circumstances, what would I say? But if I was going to value Pastor Mike on what God thinks of Pastor Mike, what would I say? You see how we allow other outside factors to somehow cause us to treat people with less dignity and respect than we should? I can remember, too, that... uh, growing up on that dairy farm at talkett that uh, there'd be days when we were putting up hay and most people moved to round bales but in that day everybody put up square bales and uh, i can remember my dad saying (laughs) to my mom run over to talkett run over to downtown talkett (laughs) and see if there's anybody standing around that needs work and she'd go over and she'd find somebody it didn't matter you know, what they looked like, they said, you want some work. And sometimes people would show up with shorts on to do do hay, and we'd say, okay, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) At the end of the day, they didn't feel too good down below their knees. But everybody in God's sight is valued and important, regardless of their skill or their experience, because God loves God's children. The parable teaches us, though, some very important things that we must guard ourselves against. Number one is resentment. Did you see that when it came time for the pay to be handed out that there were some people who resented those who they considered of less value? You know, I just want to ask a question here now and I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but there are two ages in our lives. There is our physical age, and I think Bev, you referred to this in a sermon a few weeks ago. There's our physical age, and there's our spiritual age. So, uh, anybody here in their nineties? Anybody you got anybody here that's in their nineties? Hey, Dot, God bless you, Dot. You you are uh, a beautiful person, and God has been gracious to you, and your 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 life your life has uh, been a blessing physical age sometimes goes 60 70 80 90 even 100 but what about our spiritual age so how anybody here who just started following christ in the last oh 10 years let's just say 10 years anybody just start following christ in the last look at these young people god bless you (coughs) so these young people they're just babes in christ right they're just, they're just young. They, they don't have the, the value. So when God hands out responsibilities and, and duties to them, God's going to be a little less generous to them, right? No. no. But in the church, we th- sometimes can be tempted to think that a person who has only been in the church for a short while doesn't have as much right to say what they think. That's a dangerous thing. It keeps the church held back. Did you know that churches have power? Did you know that? There's power, and, P, and power is held in the hands of those who... And when Jesus instructed the, in the parable the landowner to hand out the pay, the people who thought they had been there longer said, We got more power. We should get more. We should have more responsibility about what happens and how, how we get treated here at the end. And Jesus said, No, that's not the way the kingdom works. Now, the, the danger of this parable is that people want to take it way too literally and apply it to the business world. This is not a parable intended to be applied to the dis- business world. This is a parable as parables are supposed to do, to teach us about what God's kingdom really looks like. And in God's kingdom, regardless of how long we've been or how much we've done. And by the way, some parents, they want their children to be that in that group that got hired first. Why do they want that? Well, Every parent would want that for their children. But sometimes, subconsciously, I wonder if parents want that so that when it comes time to talk about their children, they can brag a little bit. Now, if I ask you to hold up your hand, who in here has never bragged about your children? Everybody wants to brag about your children, but be careful. The minute you brag about your children, they're going to disappoint you. They were out there early in the morning, only to discover, no, no, they were only there an hour. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? We've got to learn how to hold this, this in balance. The second thing this parable teaches us is that we must always desire to be productive in life, regardless of where and when we have an opportunity to serve. Do we always stand ready to serve? Are we always wanting to be productive with our life? People sometimes will retire and say, oh, thank God I'm finished working. I'm not on the clock anymore. I don't have anything I have to do. But did you know that for church, at least, the most uh, wonderful people in the life of the church are those who are retired, who are ready now to give themselves in service in many different ways that they couldn't in the time that they were employed uh, for their family's sake. Do you have things that you want to do with your life? Things you want to be? Things you want to, 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 to do? Not just sit around when you tire and twiddle your thumbs because you know what happens, is, they say, to people who just sit down and do nothing upon retirement. Their life doesn't last much longer. Every human being needs to be engaged. The question in the parable was why did you just sit here all day idle? There's a disappointment in that. Are you productive? is there something that you're doing, something that you're giving? And thirdly, this parable teaches us probably the more important of all the points is that in the Christian life, we must never, ever be obsessed by the statement, what's in it for me? what's in it for me? You see, God believes in us. God thinks the very best and the most possibility. God doesn't want us to be resentful. God wants us to be productive, and God wants us to no longer think that it's all about me and what's in it for me. And if you know of times in your life where that's been your operation, you were only looking out for number one, my Guess is that those were possibly not very happy times in your life you see God thinks about us based on our attitude and our attitude about life is a very important thing my I want to close with this this morning. My, my colleague and friend, Junius Lewis, he, he, was, he was a well-known basketball player back in the 70s at WVU, and he and I had the privilege of working together as pastors uh, for uh, five years. But Junius used to say this, and I, I would sometimes I'd think, I wonder where exactly where he's coming from on that, but he would say this, always offer people grace because you never know when you'll be the one who's needing it. If this parable is about God handing out grace to us all, regardless of when we came in or how much power or how high quality our work is, if it's all about how we treat people gracefully and respectfully, how are we doing? Mother Teresa it's probably one of the most uh, poignant figures of our time for her faith and her life and her love, and all she did was walk through the streets of Calcutta and pick up dying people and show them dignity and respect. And God, we believe, thought a lot of her because her words and her actions spoke loud. And so, my friends, I ask us in closing today whether you came early. Whether you came later, and even those that haven't come yet at all, God remains gracious. And I know that I have, in my own life, I have to figure out for myself who God is and what God thinks of Tim. And I can tell you right now, God has been more gracious to me than in my heart, I believe, than anyone else. And I have erred, I have erred on the side of believing that God is gracious, that God will never stop loving that which God has created, and God will never stop seeking to redeem all of us. So God, if I'm wrong, so be it. I'm sorry. But I believe that your grace is the most amazing thing in the world. And if I try to live that God and treat people with that same kind of grace, I pray that you'll think enough of me to say well done someday when I stand before you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.
2: Good morning. This is difficult for me, but I'm going to try to get through it. Um, I was married in 1979. And in 82, we had a child. And um, at that time, you didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. And you didn't really know much about how things went, except you were pregnant. And everything went well. And when I was overdue two weeks, they decided that they would do an ultrasound. And they put me in the hospital and as it continued, I had cesarean. And I remember uh, in the surgery, the doctor, Fife, saying, it's a, it's a girl. And then I was out. I woke up in the room and people were talking about Charlottesville and Roanoke and Morgantown. And I thought, something's wrong here. And then I realized that my baby had a problem. And as I later became to know, it was spina bifida, which is where the spine doesn't completely go down, or it stops at various points, depending. And um, so within a couple of hours, she was shipped off to Charlottesville for a complete evaluation. So no more than having a baby, she was gone. She came back and, um, the news wasn't very encouraging, but they didn't know, and she was paralyzed from the waist down. And so we continued, and um, she also had to, she had a hydrocephalus, which is where water forms on the brain and continues to grow unless uh, you have it shunted. And um, she had a large kyphosis, which is the bone in the back that formed in her spine. So we came home and we're, uh, one day I was talking to Jenna Senta, who was Bill Ducart's wife and who was a pediatrician at that time. And the doorbell rang and I went to the door and this guy says, um, I'm from DHR and I've been told that um, you're not getting medical care for your baby. And I'm talking to the doctor's wife. <laughs> So that was a, another little setback at that point, but anyway, six weeks later we did go to Charlottesville, and um, she had to have three shunts till they found the one that properly worked, and then they had to close her back. And you know, of course, I'm young and naive and have no clue. Um, and so basically, what I brought here is they she had a large kyphosis here on her back where the bone protruded, so they couldn't just you know they had to close this part to this part so what they did was cut her across the top here pull that skin down they shaved off her buttocks two skin grafts put the skin grafts up here and then they were able to stretch it far enough to close the spine together we were very blessed that it held for years and we never had a problem although we were always cautioned about it um, so after six weeks of that we came home and um, begin our life and, and um, I tried to make her life as normal as I could. Uh, she was in a wheelchair and um, we started school and when she was five her father came to us and said I've decided that I want to live at another home and we were both devastated but you know that was how our life had turned out so we puddled along and um, moved on and um, then um, I remarried and and, um, she continued to do well. Um, I tried to encourage her to do as much as she was able to do so she was in um, dance and she was in choir and she was in scouts and she was in church and um, when she was in ninth grade we were very blessed to um, do a Make-A-Wish, and she, at that time, ER was a very popular TV program, and she loved ER and wanted to meet the cast of ER. So we flew to California, and she, Eric LaSalle and George Clooney and Anthony Edwards were the main characters. Well, she wanted to meet Eric LaSalle, but he didn't get the message, so we, we were stuck with George Clooney and Anthony <laughs> Edwards. <laughs> and uh, I, I tell you, George Clooney sat beside her in a wheelchair, and he's flipping wheelies, you know, beside her and going, well, have y'all gone down to the bay? Well, have y'all gone down here and gone down there? And I'm going, no, but we're available. Uh, (laughs) He goes, oh, I think that's my line, and he took off running, and it it was just very blessing. And then we saw Murphy Brown. We went on that in the uh, set of Drew Carey. So Make-A-Wish did a fabulous job. So then we came home, and uh, she had some medical issues along the way, and... Uh, I know this will make some of you cringe but she had kidney stones and some of them grew the size of a quarter because she couldn't feel them and until we had outward signs we didn't know she had them and um, so we had to go to Charlottesville and we had several surgeries for those and my friend Joe came to visit us a couple times there and and, uh, we moved along and she graduated high school and then went on to the community college and she got a degree in forensic science. And um, I know this never crosses your mind, but every time I put her backpack on her book, on her wheelchair, I was always worried that the books would be heavier than her because she weighed 70 pounds and would flip her backwards. Luckily, we got never had that problem. But, um, and then um, after she graduated, Um, her health started declining, and we had some other various things that, you know, preceded. And um, I remember we were in the hospital, and um, Joe had come by that day, and Joe Geiger had come by that day. And uh, they had taken her down for an x-ray and came back and said, um, she has a blocked bowel. And apparently that can be very difficult to... um, go on with. And so I just remember praying, you know, God, I, I know you say you don't give me more than I can handle, but I'm pretty much at my limit. <laughs> and um, then within a couple of hours, I think basically she had a seizure. I had dozed for a few minutes. I think she had a seizure. And when she came, when Dr. Ducart came in, um, she wasn't breathing. And so we had to incubate her and I was by myself and got through that. And then in the morning, we decided that um, there wasn't any way to continue, and so we did um, terminate it. And, um, but I just wanna say she lived to be almost 29, and um, there are many angels along the way that helped me. Diana, and Joe, and Alan, and Car- Paul, Paula, and Sissy, and Scott, and several of you know, Anne McClung, and, uh, So I was very blessed to be her mother. I had some pictures, but I don't know if they, I guess they didn't get up to Darren, so. Oh, there's one of her skiing. And uh, that's when I got married. And then that was just as a young child. And that was her high school picture. So I was very blessed to be her mother, and I'm sorry if I took more than two minutes.
0: Thank you for listening to this teaching from the Lewisburg United Methodist Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's Word. For additional teaching, resources, and podcasts, as well as who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website, lwbumc.com.